nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Are you right, Boar? Live from Qatar, this is the morning break with Dorian Brown. It's Friday, Friday, got to get down, it's Friday, the weekend is upon us and we can all welcome it with open arms and feel its warm, fuzzy embrace in a matter of hours. I'm Dorian Brown, it's Friday the 19th of November, we are live broadcasting from Teachers Talk Radio Towers and this morning we're talking about the role and power of subject associations. How do you engage with yours? How important is yours in supporting your teaching and learning? Talk it out! Live from Qatar, this is the morning break with Dorian Brown on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome one and all, and thank you again for joining me today on Teachers Talk Radio. This is the morning break, which is the penultimate punctuation point of your day before the weekend can begin. It has been another rather torrid week of negative news stories, which I I think just really underlines what my guests have spoken about in these last few weeks regarding the role of the media in influencing the mood of the nation and indeed that of our students. Um, I'm not sure about you, but I do find myself yearning for a sort of a more regular dose of positivity, like the John Krasinski show, Some Good News, uh, which uh, some of you may remember during lockdown, really did stoke many people's positivity at that time. Um, Now, I'm not saying that we should ignore all of the serious issues affecting our communities, just that I think it would be nice if we could have a little bit more balance of positive news, rather than this kind of tokenistic tag-along at the end of a news broadcast or a and-finally part in a, in a newspaper or, or, or website. So, you know, I wonder how far such a change would go to actually alter our students' um, mindset and how they feel about themselves and how they perceive about the world. Um, but, but anyway, uh, let's, let's sort of move on to, to, to my version of positivity for us all, and, and, and that's us just having a good old natter about many and varied wondrous things that, uh, uh, that can be found within our fantastic profession. Uh, before we do dive in, though, the imaginary Susie Dent corner this week offers the word circumbendibus, which is again from the 17th century. She does like words from the 17th, 18th century, I've found. Anyway, circumbendibus is an answer or argument so convoluted and evasive that it really isn't an answer at all. Uh, Now, that's something I think that we all have become rather a little bit too accustomed to in recent times when listening to any sort of political discourse around things like Brexit, climate crisis or second jobs of MPs. But happily today, I'm confident that there will be a distinct lack of circumbendary uh, as we are talking about subject associations. And I'm absolutely privileged to be joined by the ever so experienced and active president of the Geographical Association, Mr. Alan Parkinson. Uh, Now, in terms of experiences and the extent of his activity in the field of geography education, Alan has a CV longer than my introduction can take. But in addition to being that newly newly promoted president of the GA, uh, his highlight reel includes head of department, chartered geographer, award-winning teacher and author, presenter, blogger, freelancer. The list goes on. I need a breath. 
His pronouns are he, him, and all of his views that are expressed uh, in the interview are personal and not the views of the Geographical Association. So welcome, Alan, and thank you for giving up some of your morning to join us on Teachers Talk Radio today. Hello, Dorian. Good to see you. Fantastic. Yes. Now, I'm a fellow geographer myself, so it really does feel that uh, I have sort of geography royalty uh, in this studio at this moment. So I apologise in advance for the occasional fumbled word and, and you might have to leave via the side exit uh, to avoid me being ha- sort of hound- hounding you for an autograph on the uh, Why Study Geography book there. Um, <laughs> so, so tradition as we, as, we, as we go with the start of the show is to allow our guests or to allow our listeners, if you like, to, to, to know who we are listening to. So would you mind uh, giving us a, a, an introduction of who you are and, and an idea of your journey in education, please? Hi, yes, so I'm Alan Parkinson. Uh, I'm currently teaching at King's Ely Junior in Cambridgeshire. Uh, prior to that, I actually taught for 20 years in King's Lynn. Um, I started teaching in Derbyshire, did a degree at Huddersfield Poly, as it was, and then trained at Hull University uh, with a guy called Vincent Tidswell, who I later discovered was really big in the GA and, and very significant in, in the work that he did. Um, so 20 years uh, in King's Lynn in one school, the same school. Wow. And then I joined the Geographical Association for three years during a period called the Action Plan for Geography, when the government gave, uh, I think at the end, about £4 million to the, the GA and the RGS to revitalise school geography. And my role was curriculum leader, so looking across secondary teacher training and writing resources. Uh, and that was when we also launched the GA's manifesto for geography called A Different View. Uh, and then three years into that, uh, sadly, the funding for that ended. So I, I went freelance for a couple of years, worked for the Open University, uh, running a sort of teacher portal, which got some GISC funding. Then, of course, the funding ends again. So <laughs> then uh, I happened to do a session at, at King's Ely, uh, a primary geography session. And the head of geography at the time, Claire Kint, uh, rang me up about 18 months later and said, you know, we've got some part time work if you'd like to come and join us for a few days a week, because we'd really you know, had used my work at Mission Explore books and other things in their curriculum design. Mm. And inevitably, once you get into a school, people move on, things happen. And, and now I'm back full time, but also leading on some Erasmus projects, which I've managed to get funding, which mm. gives me a little bit of flexibility in the timetable. Um, and that's obviously needed this year because uh, for 2021-22, I'm currently the president of the Geographical Association, uh, first teacher president for quite a while. Yes, yes, I'd noted that, uh, that that was the case. I think it was since 2004 or something was the last time that you had a teacher teacher president. And I guess I, I can throw the question in now, really, and just say, is there is there a reason behind that or is it just how it fell? In terms of me... Uh, yeah so if this year or yeah, well yes, yes. I mean, if, 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 is, is it because the the role of the 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 president of, of a sub, of a large subject association and being a head of department or a teacher at the same time is just maybe too much <laughs> well you're taking on a big task uh, it, it's certainly a, it's certainly a, a big task um a few things about the timing really yeah the, the last teacher president was peter fox who taught in nottinghamshire and he was also to date the only state school teacher um, so partly, I guess, significant is that I do teach in the independent sector where there may or may not be, you know, opportunities for a little flexibility or 
you know, the, the funding might be there. I think it's helped actually by the Erasmus funding, which, as I said, does provide a little bit of flexibility over my time. Yeah. Uh, but I was anticipating having a go at being president. I, I didn't take it for granted that I'd be chosen or elected. Uh, and I was perhaps going to leave that a couple more years. Um, I'm 58 this year, so uh, a couple more years. But then that would, of course, would have meant I wouldn't be a teacher. And, and I think it's significant that a subject association for teachers of geography should have a, a teacher president. So actually, it's something the GA is working on, making that more possible. And one of the uh, ways that that's happened, of course, is through this Zoom call that we're having now, for example, you know, Zoom and meetings which previously would have taken place, perhaps down in London or at Sheffield or wherever they happen to take place, can now take place remotely. So that means that the president doesn't have to constantly be going up to, to HQ in Sheffield. Yes. Although, of course, the face-to-face -face is still is still ideal. And the other change that took place uh, two years ago was the appointment of a, a chair of trustees. Historically, the, the, the president was also the chair of the governing body, and so had to chair governing body and a whole range of additional meetings and procedural things. Mm. So that's now uh, taken on by Alwyn Linton-Smith, and, and I have that extra flexibility to really focus on uh, liaising with volunteer groups and just being I guess the, the figurehead for the year and setting mm. the, the theme for the for the conference and promoting geography in in whatever form that takes and obviously what we would hope is that teacher presidents become more more common in the future mm. and one part of my job I guess is to show that it is possible although Obviously, everyone's circumstances are different. I, my children are, are grown up now. They're mm. sort of at university. So perhaps for somebody with other commitments, you know, that still might be a little bit of a challenge. But sure. once you're in the role, uh, you find that, yeah, you, you, you get on with it because there's, yeah. there's a job of work to be done. And I like that idea that, you know, as you said, it seems that there's been a bit more of a, a, a focus or, or, or a move towards freeing up the role of, for you to be, as I said, that that person, the, the figure. I like the word you use, figurehead, actually. You know, be the figurehead, but also be sort of at the, at the coal face, I guess, as well, you know, talking to people, whether it be via uh, the Internet or face to face to really kind of have your um, your foot if you like in the in in the classroom and in the in the subject association as well um so that's so that's a a really um I'm fascinated actually every every guest that I've had has a completely different journey and story in education so the idea that you were teaching for so long and then kind of out of the classroom for a little bit uh, for a number of years uh, you know going freelance and doing a, a couple of things still in education but not in the classroom um and then sort of finding your way eventually back into the classroom was it the um just a sort of final sort of query on that, I guess. Whilst you were away from the classroom being being freelance, was there this kind of emptiness? <laughs> was, was there this kind of really, were you missing being in the classroom, the day-to-day the -day of being a teacher? And is that part of the reason that kind of got you got in? Or was there kind of a number, another sort of patchwork of reasons where you ended up back in the profession? Yeah, I, I certainly when I first joined the GA, the idea of having a day where it wasn't the, the bell, you know, the bell didn't ring and you had to be somewhere. Yes. So that real notion of flexibility. Mm. Um, and it 
it probably took a, a month or two, but I just began to feel uh, that adrenaline that you have as a teacher. You're constantly on on alert, really. Uh, you know, you can't just think I'm going to have a I'm going to have a fairly gentle day today and 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 decide that first thing in the morning. Yes. You know, you have no idea what's going to happen. Whereas uh, working for the GA uh, I, in an office environment, you know, if a meeting was scheduled to start at 10 and you weren't quite ready well you started at 10 30 you know it it wasn't essential that that you know the bell didn't ring and it said right you've got to perform right here right now yes. uh, the other thing that i didn't have is, was that looking ahead to the next holiday which teachers are very often doing you know you crossing the days off <laughs> five weeks four weeks three weeks and, yeah. and by the end of the term you really are in need of a break uh, and, mm. and so i went i went to the 28 days you know, standard standard holidays. But what I found was that I wasn't really uh, missing not not having the long breaks mm. uh, because that that sense of uh, constantly being ready to perform, I guess, was was not there. And I think as teachers, we you know we get to the first week of the holiday, and that's when the bugs kick in, and that's when we sort of uh, our sort of immune systems are at their lowest. So yes. I think. I guess I missed that, that, I guess it's like a performer who was in a show. And mm. for that, for the period of that show, they are, you know, they're exhausted, but every night, you know, you get the applause and you get the, the feedback and it's that feedback that you're getting constantly from young people and the discussions that you're having and the jokes and the, yes. the things you find yourself in. And so when I was freelance, particularly, I basically worked from my landing and I would just sit on my landing for, for days at a time. Right. And not see anybody mm. um, and it was the days before zoom so i didn't really have many online meetings i had a few skypes remember skype i don't know oh, i do yeah skype. yeah I do. Uh, and a few phone calls and emails but you know but then i would find myself in a in a city um to do a project or i'd find myself during the school day uh, and realizing who are all these people where are all these people coming from because yes. of course you miss a lot you know, you arrive at school in the morning, you leave in the evening, you've missed out on that, the whole of that hustle bustle of hubbub, yes. Wherever yes. you happen to teach, um, you don't, you're not aware of that generally. So mm. I guess I missed that. And I mean, pragmatically, of course, um, teachers are fortunate to have a, a, a very generous teacher pension scheme as well. Mm -hmm. So there was a certain element of financial pragmatism ultimately yes. tied in with that, that, um, as I said, I'm you know 58, so to be, to remain freelance would have would have you know potentially had had an impact on that on my pension as well. So I'm not in it just for the money, of course. I don't <laughs> think many teachers are in it for the money, but uh, you know uh, perhaps I should just be like an MP and take on a lucrative second job. <laughs> but uh, I think yes. I'll uh, stick to the one job and try and do it properly. That, as, that, uh, that might be drying up now, I think, hopefully anyway. but Well, hopefully, yes. Yes, that really is fascinating. It really is. And I think I love the pi picture that you sort of painted there in the way that it is completely, it does feel two different worlds. Well, we do feel worlds apart, don't we, in, in teachers? We, are, we aren't in that kind of day-to-day, -day, you know, high street hubbub of of you know going out for i guess lunch at a, a coffee shop or something like that you know we we very much spend our as you said you know particularly in the winter months the you know we go into work when it's dark and we come away from work when it's dark and our world is is, is our colleagues and, and and the students that we teach so yeah. yeah it is very very weird and i think in unless you've been 
one of those people that have seen both sides of the coin or have been in both it's it's actually quite difficult to imagine what it'd be like i mean the the idea of the holidays being you know as as, as long as they are uh, is great but i guess from the outside but then when you are basically yourself you don't see them necessarily as oh lovely long holidays they are like you said those times for us to rest to recharge to regenerate and actually you know sadly to catch up on things and everything as well to do with the job so yeah it really is a, a an interesting sort of uh, reflection to think of it um like that Alan great um so uh, thank you very much for kind of giving us a bit of an insight in, in, into into your uh, many and varied career to date uh, we will sort of go sort of revisit the the, the GA in the second uh, second part if that's all right uh, and 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 sort of dig into a little uh, a few of the projects that you're looking at now um, but uh, wanting to be current as well obviously we've already um, mentioned MPs of uh, uh, second jobs of MPs etc uh, let's also uh, mention you know it'd be remiss of us not to mention the occlusion of uh, COP26 um, and really um, I, I wonder as a geographer perhaps uh, you could let us know how successful you feel that the, the conference was um, and how positive we should be really that action will indeed follow. Okay, now. Um, small questions, small questions. Yeah, so so obviously we, COP26 is 26 meeting, so there's been plenty of other opportunities mm. to have taken some action. Um, going right back to, you know, 1988, Jim Hansen's testimony to, to Congress. Um, there's been a lot of opportunities to come to some agreements which haven't been taken. At this conference, there were some steps forward, um, agreements on deforestation, for example, and um, some of the ideas about phasing down, sadly not phasing out, the wording, the last minute change. Yes. And I think some increased action. So obviously we have seen some young activists present at the conference, uh, recognition that Greta Thunberg is not the only climate activist. We have uh, Vanessa Nakate, for example, uh, who's yes. famously yep. cut out, cropped out of a picture. Right. Um, and th those people have had a voice uh, and have also galvanized public support, I think. Yes. The, other aspect of it, of course, is the promises that are quite far ahead into the future, mm. uh, promising to do something by 2050, 60, 70. It, it, yes. It's inevitably going to be to be left uh, if we have until 2050. We'll wait till 2049 to, <laughs> to then say, I'm sorry, but we're not going to meet our targets. It, it, it has to be earlier than that. Mm. Uh, and the other aspect of it, of course, is the sort of climate justice angle the idea of the, the countries which perhaps have done the least to to create the problem being the, the most affected yes. so the island states uh, and obviously those those countries potentially being uh, you know the narrative perhaps of India being blamed for uh, wanting to carry on with coal and, and yet of course right now we have a greater need for coal in the UK because We've had some calm days, wind power hasn't been generated and the gas price has risen by 10%. So, yes. so we, we're, we're burning coal as well. Um, we've exported a lot of our pollution. We've outsourced our pollution to the countries which create the manufactured items mm. that we buy coming up to Christmas, saving Christmas. This whole narrative is Spinning about- Spinning such a complex web there, Alan. 
carrying <laughs> on is, the consumption, the yes. consumption, you know, the, the ads for supermarkets, buy, mm. buy, buy, buy. Yes, um, just had the so, recent Christmas ads, haven't we, as well? Absolutely, you know, Tables yeah. full of food so and packaging. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that narrative around change and who's doing, who's doing the most. Um, mm. It was interesting, I guess, that uh, Boris Johnson did travel by train the second time to COP26, mm. um, although he didn't seem to stay very long and then used the fact he was travelling by train as an excuse not to speak to the media for as long as he might have done. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially we have to take what we've got. Um, the next COP is less than a year away probably now. And it's going to be uh, a time when people are perhaps going to be held to account. There's going to be a lot of interest, I, I guess, on our elected representatives as, as to what they're going to do about it. And, a recognition that it's going to take a national uh, effort as well as a global effort to just do what we can this yes. this the idea that we can all do something because every gram of carbon dioxide we save mm. is going to affect the future absolutely and I, and i agree with you totally on the idea that we've got this public support and awareness now because i think that re we really do have to mobilize that as a as, as an agent to uh, as an agent for change um you know the fact that it is in you know that that the governments are now going to be held a lot more accountable uh, in all of the decisions that they're making i think that is a very powerful medium um particularly as you you, you said you know for example india saying they'd be net zero by uh 2070 i think it was wasn't it and perf yeah by setting that you are you know putting that on the plate of somebody else who's ever, who's going to be in charge in the future and therefore uh you're putting it off aren't you you're putting it off but um but yes it is very very complex very very complicated i, I noted that the, the ga did also pop a poll up on their on their twitter feed asking uh the geographers and and anyone else who follows the Ge geographical association uh to it says now that it's concluded to what extent do we feel that the summit has achieved its goals to mitigate climate change and protect communities and natural habitats and i've got to say the uh, the, the outcome isn't overly positive so that so the mood the, the mood amongst the the, the geographers and 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 for those that follow the ga is is perhaps uh, muted somewhat but I, I i think as you said at the end there we have to uh, tr take the positives um, and we do have to start kind of uh, putting extra pressure in the right places uh, to, to affect change. It, 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 the climate justice, I, was it the uh, president of Tuvalu, was it that, that did his speech in uh, knee deep in, in water? Yes, I think it was. yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that yep. sort of image really kind of stuck with me from the conference. And then I, I spoke to, to, to Kit Rackley last uh, week on, on the show and they said oh they made a very kind of watertight very convincing case of you know framing the climate crisis as a, as a safeguarding problem and I thought that that was a, a very you know we're talking about the public needing to make uh, significant changes in pressure on, on, on the political uh, element but again it's our responsibility as teachers not as geography teachers but as teachers generally to kind of um safeguard the, the the future well the present in fact and the and the futures of these children so what, what's your thoughts on that do you feel do, do you agree that that's that the climate crisis is a safeguarding issue uh absolutely yes uh kit and i presented uh, uh a session for one of the ga's volunteer groups the sort of sustainability and citizenship uh, special interest group and if you go on my 
Living Geography blog, which I'm sure there'll be a link on the, the web page. Uh, and just search COP26, you'll find a whole range of posts around the conference, during the conference and after the conference. Uh, and yeah, Kit's session was essentially about this idea of, of safeguarding and, and particularly the, the climate anxiety that, that young people perhaps have because of the imagery that's used. Mm -hmm. um, and and it, within geography um, and the lessons that we teach, you know, very often we will be focusing on, on negatives, on disasters and, and, and deaths rather than looking for positives. But equally, there's been some uh, criticism of uh, BBC Bite Size and SQA who presented that balanced view that there would be some, some benefits of climate change. But yes. we have to look at the fact that it's not every impact is not going to be the death and destruction, you know, Vancouver being cut off in the last few days, for example, mm. um, that we actually have to bear in mind that these young people that we're sitting in front of us haven't had a normal school year for two years. I teach in the junior section of the school, so I might have sort of year six students mm. who for a, a quarter of their lives, so suddenly people, everyone's been masked up. They haven't been to school normally. And they're told that the world is falling apart. It, mm. it, it has to be something we talk about in a sensitive way. And just as we'd safeguard against radicalization and other uh, negative media, we also have to consider the, the media we use and the, the sort of narratives we tell. And I think that's where the young activists and, and uh, people who are in you know, indigenous communities, you know, their voices should be part of the the curriculum as much as you know the 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 powerful voices of, of of old that we still defer back to sometimes in our exam specifications and so on so i think it definitely is and kit certainly is is wonderful speaker in that area so mm. uh, it's worth catching up on their their outputs yes and and, and they're also their podcast of course not to um, yes yes coffee and geography we did mention that as well yeah and, and i was yeah, blown yeah. away by their um uh, it, I didn't realize that they were sort of climate uh, climate scientists themselves, uh, you know, so yeah. it has sort of very rich uh, uh, knowledge and understanding of the, of the science. And, and, and we discussed how, how important it was at a primary level to make sure that we do embed or begin, begin these conversations and build the, the knowledge and proficiency, if you like, in uh, climate science so that when students do get into secondary school, you know, they, they feel empowered and, and and able to to contribute because i think that's one of the, the safe almost the safeguarding issues as well is that the, the students are bombarded with the doom and gloom but also feel powerless to uh, for to, to be able to do anything about it so so putting the climate crisis front and center of our curricula in any across all of our subjects is something that uh, from i think from a government governance level um, down to sort of leadership, all the way down to, to teachers, is is, some, is a responsibility. I think that we all we all have. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating so far, uh, Alan, and the time is is really moving away from us. So we're going to break very quickly for the uh, the news, and when we come back, we're going to hear a little bit more about your role in the GA. So join us in a couple of minutes. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. 
Liverpool Labour MP Ian Byrne, who survived the 1989 Hillsborough Football Stadium disaster, has called on ministers to include the event and the campaign for justice in school curriculums. Byrne was 17 when he attended the Liverpool match that ended in disaster, leaving 97 Liverpool fans dead and his own father severely injured in the deadly crush. His motion recognises the important role of education in learning the lessons from the disaster and calls on the government to include the Hillsborough disaster in the national curriculum and suggests a programme of education which should cover the events of the past 32 years, the continuing campaign for justice and how we ensure the events of that fateful day are not forgotten and that the ensuing miscarriage of justice is never repeated. The government's announcement that it will ensure all schools and further education providers are inspected by Ofsted by the summer of 2025 has led to outrage amongst school staff. News also broke on Tuesday that Ofsted was set to receive an extra £24 million in funding to speed up the rate of inspections. Unions spoke out against the decision, saying... It showed once again the government have no understanding of the exhaustion and stress felt by teachers and leaders. The Education Secretary did not share this view, however, saying accelerating the rate of Ofsted inspections over the coming years will provide parents with an up-to-date picture and swifter recognition of the hard work of leaders and teachers. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Thank you very much for the news there, Gail. Uh, I am Dorian Brown. This is the Friday morning break, and I am joined in the studio here with Alan Parkinson, the president of the Geographical Association. And we're going to talk, to, well, the first half, we sort of had a little, little discussion about uh, Alan's journey and uh, many and varied journey in education before kind of hitting the uh, the issue of COP26 and our little our reflections on that. Uh, and now the main sort of part, what, what we're here for is to talk about the role of subject associations in, in, in the field of education. So, um, we mentioned already at the start that Alan had uh, this year been appointed as the president of the GA for the you know the first time in, since 2004 that a working teacher had held the post. Uh, so congratulations, uh, Alan. Um, we'd like now, really, uh, this is kind of a two, I guess, a two-pronged question here because it's kind of zooming out first uh, and and asking you really. Uh, if you could explain to listeners what you personally think the role of a subject association should be in the field of education. And then the second prong of that really is perhaps maybe how it is in your experience, I suppose. So those two problems hopefully are fairly close to each other, but I wonder if you might be um, abstract, not abstract, but kind of zoom out first uh, before we kind of zoom in and speak specifically more about the, the GA itself. Okay, yeah, so uh, the majority of subjects then have subject associations, uh, membership organisations, who very often are part of the policy work that is involved in advocating for the subject at a high level, so to government, to Ofsted, reacting to consultations about curriculum and assessments, and also providing services which assist teachers in their own professional development, uh, which are subject specific and not uh, generic. Mm -hmm. 
mm. quite a lot of training can be a little bit generic we have uh, some powerful voices within within cpd within what what we might call edu twitter although i mm-hmm. uh, don't engage with that particularly and uh, in fact have muted that word on my uh, feed <laughs> um are a little bit generic so a lot of the work on on powerful knowledge on curriculum on knowledge advice organizers you know, whatever you, you're talking about mm. it, it starts to become generic and not specific to the discipline and geography is a very uh, important discipline but it's also quite a challenging one to get a grip on uh, there are lots of geographies mm. and so the subject has developed in schools and first of all in universities first of all before it was school subject it was a university subject and so that that tension between the academic angle and the school geography has always been there and and remains there to an extent um there's quite a lot of work being done currently to uh, get get lecturers to you know lecture to, to teachers to talk about um, their work and actually quite a lot of the work i've done over the years has been to translate uh, research into the classroom to to make it accessible yeah. and also we you know within the subject association what we have is we have university members as well as uh, teacher members so we're not really uh, prioritizing students although there are a number of events which do involve students now and of course the annual conference is a chance for teachers to come come along and listen to you know the experts in in the field and i'm not able to reveal um, quite yet who the keynote <laughs> lecturers are at the conference in 2022 but right. very excited about the the lineup that i've managed to uh, to get together and uh, no 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 exclusive for us on teachers talk radio today i'm afraid folks uh, <laughs> we'll have to wait yet. a little longer <laughs> although you will you will be I hope uh, very pleased with um, the line right. that we've got for you, um, nice. as always. Um, so that's that's the role, and and I think the the Geographic Association sort of began in eighteen ninety three, um, when a group of teachers decided that they needed to share resources. So we actually began with a very pragmatic uh, idea, and the, the resources at the time were lantern slides, which were used to illustrate lectures. And so we had these glass slides which were projected through an epidioscope onto the wall, uh, you know, the sort of early slide projectors. And but they were quite cumbersome and fragile and expensive to produce. And so a group of teachers got together at Christchurch College Oxford and founded an association to share those resources and but also significantly to create lesson materials around them. So uh, you didn't just show the slides, you know, you needed some questions, you needed a narrative, you needed a lesson plan event, essentially. Uh, and one of the things that I discovered in my research for a blog I'll talk about later was we actually found some some lecture slides from 1930s uh, from a, a president called James Fairgreave, who um, is really his questions that he was asking. And we, we pulled up the slides that he used and the questions that he was asking. And it, you know, you'd recognize them as a as a lesson plan today you know they were inquiry focused yeah. getting their students to look at the images to to unpick what they were seeing mm. to question the the reason for the picture being taken and and all that angle of it so i think i guess the, the ga is um 
well, the mission is to further geographical knowledge and understanding through education. And so that idea of geographical knowledge and understanding is, is really important for everybody. Uh, you know, nobody really can consider themselves educated if they haven't had geography as part of their education because it provides that spatial dimension. You know, the lens we look at the world through as geographers. So we see uh, an issue, a situation, a place a little differently because we, we sort of understand a little bit about its complexity, the, the connections, the inequalities, and the processes which have created it. And so the GA supports education by leading that debate on geography, advocating for geography. Mm. And there have been occasions when geography has, has potentially been, remo been removed from the curriculum if the GA hadn't made a case for, for geography. Uh, in terms of being a, a subject that was compulsory through to through to 14. Uh, we've also published our journals and website materials which provides a regular input of research and ideas and resources. Uh, we run our events and projects. We have a, a podcast uh, too, the GA a Jog Pod, yeah. uh, and we also support teacher networks uh, at national and local scales. And the final thing, which I think you're going to mention a little bit later, because Catherine Owen talked about them, is we offer recognition, accreditation That's for right. for individuals, but also for for departments, uh, as do many of the other subject associations, uh, the Arts Mark, etc. Mm. It's that um, aspect of being, I guess, the, the national association and. Significantly, of course, we are a membership organisation. So although we have revenue from a number of sources, uh, much of the revenue to, to fund that comes from memberships. And very pleased to, to say that we have gone back over 10,000 members uh, recently. That will be uh, announced on the GA website this week. So I guess mm -hmm. that's partly a, an exclusive, exclusive for you. Yes, there we go. You the, heard it the, here the first. The membership <laughs> has, uh, yeah, it has, has, has gone back over 10,000. It, it was yeah. over 10,000 previously, but not for some time. Um, and part of that is a function of, you know, changing uh, financial uh, situation in schools uh, and also the changing uh, nature of geography and you know, people seeing it as being something that is important. It, we did have that action plan for geography phase, as I mentioned mm. earlier, yes. 2006 to 11 uh, membership at that time, probably around 5,000. So we've seen a significant increase yeah. in the last uh, couple of years in particular, uh, which is really encouraging. Uh, and, uh, and of course, every, every member, whether it's uh, a group member or individual member, um, all helps to, to contribute to the work the GA does. Uh, mm. And in particular, um, we have a free membership offer currently for primary colleagues, as we feel that that's an area where geography you know, is particularly strong uh, and we need to support further development because clearly if, if primary geography isn't strong, then secondary geography isn't strong. And as Andrew Gowdy said some decades ago, you know, the quality of undergraduate geographers depends on getting good quality A-level GCSE students through. And, and if 
those students are dropping geography at 14. If they're not being engaged with the subject, then uh, you know the subject is diminished. So it's part of the role of the GA to, to promote geography and the importance of, of that. Uh, but importantly also, currently of course, to try to work towards a more inclusive and sustainable community, a more diverse geography community in all in all our facets of what that word might mean so there's work still to be done there uh, as there is for any other subject association and any other aspect of education but yes. uh, work is is underway in that area great but so much to unpick from what you've just said there Alan and it just it just really does kind of add kind of uh, gravitas I think to, to, to the, the many and varied things that the that the A Subject Association can do and does do in order to uh, drive knowledge and drive pedagogy uh, within those those subjects and 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 I think the one thing that just at the end there that you mentioned about the promotion in terms of inclusivity diversity sustainability that's something that I'd not really thought about in terms of the the, the, the role of, of of a subject association in the past and I didn't really connect those dots in saying yes if you if you wish to continue to push you know you want, want to be at the vanguard of that of the subject and and, and have you know students feeding into uh, university courses then yes you need to look at the underlying structures below making sure that you are in, 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 making it accessible to all uh, including uh, everybody and, and 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 engaging and 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 demonstrating like you said promoting and showing how important a subject is that it does need to be um a a, a core subject uh, per se um i yeah. think yeah yeah i think the also the rgs work in, in in a similar way uh, and they recently published a, a little research report on their where's the bell going um, uh -huh. a, a little research report on the um on the scholars that they have uh, particularly bame scholars and their, their little report is called I, I didn't have teachers that look like me or something similar to that and it's, so it's also about for some uh, students having role models uh, you know having teachers who are like them uh, you know we need we need a diverse uh, teacher community as well as supporting uh, geography across across all of, all of those different uh, groups that we now have to, to have to reach um, yes. And I've not heard of that, so I will put uh, as as Alan uh, suggested uh, um, earlier. Anything that you're, you're mentioning, we'll, we'll we'll pop a link into the uh, into the show notes uh, at the end of the show, so our listeners can add, uh, access those because that sounds uh, incredibly interesting, um, uh, and and hyper important as we as we as we have said. Um, it was interesting as well. One of the reflections from from what you said there is just how much that teaching hasn't changed. You know, we kind of we kind of think that you know you know we're continually pushing the boundaries of of, of education, and yet going back to the very the, the the brass tacks, you know, the the nuts and bolts of it all, that idea of just the, the slides and the questions, and 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 a lot of the debate um, or dis, or some discourse at the moment is is just saying that you know no one should be teaching to a PowerPoint or just teaching on slides, you know, it is about the quality of those inter interactions and making, you know, how can you uh, get students to, to, to think? Yes, memory being the residue of thought. So um, yeah, how much teaching hasn't changed, but also as a, as, a, as, a, as a subject, how much our subject has 
changed as well. So the the mode of delivery hasn't changed much, and yet the 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 subject of geography does continue to evolve. And I think I I suggested to to, to Catherine a couple of weeks ago, you know, that there are some subjects where the knowledge is fairly rigid, I think, and kind of fairly it hasn't really changed that much over you know, hundreds and thousands of years, perhaps, whereas, you know, we have that job and, and, and the GA has that kind of role of trying to continue to, to explore new geographies, but also keep it within a, a manageable framework, because I think the, it's the answer quote, which I, I, I quote often, it's that if geography is everything, then geography is nothing. Um, so, so yeah, so fantastic what the, what the GA has to do in order to kind of keep the, the keep the subject moving. Um, so, so let me just uh, pose this next uh, question to you, if I may. Um, so we I think we kind of got, got to the, um, uh, got to the, the, the detail of, of perhaps maybe why you kind of applied for the role um, in, the, in the GA, in the presidency. Is there anything, well, let me ask that question to you. What was it that prompted you firstly to, to, to apply uh, for the, uh, to become GA president? Uh, so, essentially, I was asked by two uh, colleagues ah. who I value. Uh, Headhunted. Headhunted is the word, right? One, one of whom, <laughs> well, one of whom was a, was a former president. Right. Uh, and one of whom was uh, a former, former colleague. And, and the other thing to say is that I think I'm the only GA president who also uh, sort of has worked for the, for the GA, at least in the, in the common sort of era because of course until quite recently the GA was a volunteer organization so all the mm. all the roles were voluntary um the, the librarian the secretary treasurers all those people until around about the year 2000 so it's relatively mm. recently that that we have paid staff uh, at Solly Street in Sheffield where the GA are now based and also only just over 10 years ago the GA actually owned a building for the first time it's always wow sort of uh, sofa surfed a little bit uh, yeah. in previous occasions where former former presidents have found you know cheap rent or uh, uh, actually free free rent uh, in the case of uh, of some of the presidents uh, so yeah the, the the reason they asked me to to go for it was i think that they felt it, it needed somebody like me um, somebody who was in the classroom and also somebody with that that history, if, if I can use that word, of uh, of promoting geography at all levels. Uh, so I'm a primary geography champion. Uh, I do a lot of work with with primary colleagues uh, as former secondary curriculum leader. I've worked, as I mentioned, at the Open University, but also with uh, on projects with with Oxford University. Uh, a lot of the uh, university ITE courses I've spoken to over the years and worked with. So, you know, across the whole spectrum of, of geography um, and also written books from children's books up to academic uh, contributions as well. So I think that communicating of geography um, they felt was important, but also that the president uh, and also the vice when you have the vice president, the president, that those are the, the two years when you potentially can change. You can change the narrative a little bit. And as as chair of 
what we call the education group, which uh, is the chairs of all the all the various groups that the GA has. Uh, that's the time when you know you can you can bring out some some change to the way that those groups operate, new ideas, uh, and really work with volunteers to recognize that as you mentioned that the subject is changing all the time and we need to reflect that so the work that we've done around cop 26 would be an example of that where all of the groups contributed uh, something to to that uh, that effort and we also have uh, this year my theme of everyday geographies and i've been delighted how you know the groups have have, have gone with that theme and are looking at the how that relates to their own particular spheres of activity so it's it's really that each president brings something to the association uh, and the the last few presidents uh, have been more academic geographers uh, teacher education uh, sustainability angle uh, so you know susan pike last year her theme was compassionate geographies so that that went across quite a lot of the activity that the ga did last year um, but the theme then doesn't just disappear you know th th there's a, a legacy i think yes and so i think also that was one of the reasons they felt perhaps this was the right time nice to put myself forward yeah i like that i like the, the idea that there has been a lot of deliberate a lot of thought going into maybe the direction and, and, and assessing almost candidates or or prospective uh, uh, president's skill set, perhaps, maybe to think, you know, to, to help influence the decision uh, or, or the appointed to, to, again, move, move, move the subject forward. And I love that idea of kind of each uh, president bringing their own experience and ideas and then trying to implement them, but also embed them so that there is that kind of, like you said, that legacy and that sustainability. Uh, I guess perhaps maybe what we do have to be a little bit uh, conscious or cautious of in that model is that there's just too you know there's that possibility of embedding too many things or bringing too many ideas to the pot right so there's that kind of control factor almost of uh, uh, making sure that the contributions are managed in oh yeah I mean there's still plenty of inertia to yes in some aspects uh, which yeah uh, and series as presidents perhaps is needed to keep pushing in the same direction yes as with any organization where you have so many volunteers and other personalities within the group yeah absolutely great fantastic absolutely fascinating and, and i think it's the, again I, I would like i don't know but i would hope to think it's exactly the same for the other subject associations as well and as well yeah. in the way that you know people in these positions are, are, are there on on merit and on track record and are recognized as being uh luminaries or or, or have contributed significantly in the in the past um you know have that tapestry of of, of involvement and, and and i think the will as well you know i think having the having the skill is okay but that will of being able to be that person to drive those things forward is really important in a in a subject association um now as we have, we've mentioned the the RGS, the Royal Geographical Society, uh, as well as well as the Geographical Association, and you have kind of alluded to the fact that you have had experience in writing for or or, or holding positions, certainly in in, in both. Um, 
did a tiny bit of research earlier in terms of other some other subject associations and as you kind of said earlier there are um uh, the geography is not the only one with multiple uh subject associations so um in your opinion does the coexistence of multiple does that help to propel and push the push the subject even further uh i think so yes uh, so we got obviously the royal geographical society which uh is is older than the ga but, and, and operates in a slightly different sphere in, in that it, it, it's its history is around exploration and funding expeditions whether that was uh, Everest and or Scott and or Shackleton or those sorts of early uh, sort of Arctic exploits and Antarctic exploits, uh, and then obviously into into Africa and, and and so that narrative. But but they also recognised a little bit more recently the importance of education, and so um, they do have an education uh, area that they're now working in. Uh, for example, today is GIS Day. And I happen to know that they're running a, a very exciting GIS course, including Esri colleagues, GIS being an area that, of course, that, that is really important for geography. Mm. Uh, and I've presented at the GA, at the RGS uh, several times in, on GIS and other matters. Uh, and so the first thing, perhaps, is that there is sometimes some confusion that we have these organisations. Uh, I'm sure that the RGS get get post from for the GA as we as we get post for the RGS sometimes it's the Royal Geography Association so they actually mix, mix the two, two together yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah we are we are distinct we're distinct in our operation of uh, the RGS has uh, a rather more imposing uh, headquarters in Kensington Gore in London uh, and when we worked together on the action plan for geography, that was actually the first time for a while that there was that real sort of synergy, which meant that we took the best parts of both organizations and worked together for that period of time. Uh, there are still areas which we could work uh, more closely on, uh, but historically, there's a really close connection between the two organizations. Many of the former presidents of the GA were also presidents or treasurers or librarians of the RGS. Not, not, not recently, but certainly in, you know, in, in the last century, there was quite a lot more overlap between the two organizations. And so definitely uh, um, uh, I chatted to, to Joseph Smith, who's the director, um, and previously have, have you know, worked with other previous directors and presidents. And so I think having the two together means we've got sort of two fronts. So very often, for example, Steve Brace, who's the uh, education uh, manager for the RGS, will put something out, which I'll respond to, and we'll, we'll sort of have a united front, I guess, on, on an, in an area. And then sometimes Steve will present something that I haven't seen, or I'll present something Steve hasn't seen. Mm. So it's, it's having more sets of eyes on the, yes. the opportunities that are there to promote geography. And also um, to, to, to make that connection with the idea of the outside. Uh, you know, a lot of the recent thinking has been around the need for, for young people to, to spend more time out, outdoors, 
uh, focus on mental health and clearly uh, field work is a, you know sort of glue holds geography together the yes. geography is happening out there and, and one of the uh, events of my presidential year next year is a, uh, it's going to be a national fieldwork week which uh, is being spearheaded by Paula Richardson um, who created Barnaby Bear if you uh, remember Barnaby and uh, she's irrepressible and uh, is driving forward this, this a whole range of events uh, culminating in June where we're going to Great. encourage as many people as possible to to get outside and, and, yes. and do some field work whether that's yes. on the school site locally mm. uh, not at great expense uh, mm. just, just to really just get out there and uh, yes that feeling of needing to reconnect isn't it I think that, that if anything the pandemic you know it has kind of stymied our, uh, our, our options or abilities to be able to to really experience field work and I think that's what you know a lot of geographers really do uh, get that sense of the fact that we have been um, restricted and um, you know and that's been reflected actually in the in, in the exam boards as well in their kind of taking away of the the the, the or suggestions in, in some of, of, of taking away the practical element which is really um, you know Effect, affecting departments I think because we do have that as uh, the field of activity is, is one of the big selling points but also one of the most important parts of you know everything which is being taught within the classroom has that kind of outside real world significance so yeah so that's fantastic and, and uh, yeah, just to, to close that bit off there I think that synergy I think between obviously you can have subjects associations that perhaps maybe do you know battle almost I suppose or, or, or trying to get one over on each other or something but it, it's it seems from what you're saying and from from my perspective as well that you know that there are strengths in in, in both and and the, the like you said that into the, the the they're intertwined in the way that they uh, are both looking essentially for the same thing they're both looking to to achieve the same thing um and work and, and working together is a is a is a way of of realizing that playing to each other's strengths so, so that's beautiful um we will we'll dip back now if that's all right to what we mentioned just a while ago about the um the other thing that the ga uh, is um uh has as uh, as one of their kind of hallmarks, and that is uh, the the GA's geography quality marks. Um, when when I spoke to um, to Catherine about this, she did mention that her school was a centre of excellence, but uh, unfortunately we ran out of time and weren't able to kind of dive any deeper. So I wonder if you might just kind of outline for us the um, what what the geography quality marks are, um, and 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 why you think that such accreditations are important to to a subject. Yeah, so we have uh, primary and secondary quality marks. They involve departments working to essentially audit uh, aspects of their work, um, teaching curriculum, relationships with students, uh, uh, and also the extent to which they are pushing pushing forward and, and developing and looking looking at uh, uh, that state of improvement. They then produce evidence that they are meeting these criteria, and there's a, a framework which is regularly updated to to, to match with school evaluation or um, Ofsted frameworks, for example, so that essentially it looks across the department's work and says, what are you doing well? And those portfolios are then assessed by a moderation team, so each portfolio is, is moderated by experienced 
teachers. In fact, I've been on the moderation panel since it started, so probably 15, 15 years maybe for the secondary quality mark. Um, and also the school I teach in uh, has held a centre of excellence too. And, and so centre of excellence is where the school goes that little bit further. Uh, and so there are particular areas that you can, that you can work in, one of which is field work, one of which is networking. And for a while there was a, a global learning uh, opportunity. And that's, that's where my school got the centre of excellence because uh, it was a time when the GA was working on the global learning programme. A funded project to develop uh, well global learning, obviously. <laughs> uh, so it's it, it's a year, probably it takes a year to work through if you're doing it properly, um, and the mark is then valid for for three years. After which you can ask for it to be reaccredited, uh, and you then submit a slightly slimmer. A portfolio just just to show that the story is continuing really uh, but it's it's a it's a professional development tool as much as anything else which involves the whole department so rather than going on a course which lasts a day uh, you know you, you are given the framework and support to submit your your evidence and then for the primary there are three levels bronze silver and gold and for the secondary uh, you are either a quality mark school or a centre of excellence school if you choose to submit further evidence to get that. And we have, yeah, uh, I think we had about 40, 50 applicants for each last year. Some schools uh, deferred because obviously it wasn't yes. a, a typical year, um, mm. but we have had up to 70, 80 applications and each one is given a rigorous look at by moderation team. Um, and I think people find it valuable because it then changes the thinking for a significant amount of time into the future. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been sort of part of the process myself and, and it does, it does give you a, it, it's a really good reflection tool as well, actually, even if, you know, just going through the process itself, you know, say, you know, it really gets you to think about the educational experience that you are giving to students um, and how you're going about it and are you asking the right questions and are you kind of assessing uh, is the curriculum structured in a way which allows students to to to, to build uh, on 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 not their knowledge and understanding over time so I, I do feel you know is an absolutely fantastic it, it is that badge of honor almost but it is that kind of you know that that gold standard almost isn't it of uh, and that that recognition for uh, quality teaching in a particular subject, quality teaching and quality um, uh, educational experience, and and I, and I'm sure our listeners will agree that if there is this framework, this robust frame, framework in, in in place, where departments are continually reflecting upon what they're delivering and how they're delivering it and how they're pushing themselves forward to enable to Im improve those outcomes um, that, that that can only be good for for the subject to make sure that there is this this minimum I mean it sounds silly to say to say minimum but you know this this standard of what is expected uh, if you like uh, uh, of the quality of education within a within a school so I think I think the quality marks are an absolute absolutely fantastic idea and it's good to hear that there are you know continuing um ap uh, applications uh, uh, uh year on year 
Um, Alan, um, it's time for us to go to a, a, an ad break now before we kind of uh, sort of polish off the rest of the show. So we shall be back in a minute. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Live from Qatar, this is The Morning Break with Dorian Brown. Welcome back to The Morning Break on Teachers Talk Radio. This is me, Dorian Brown, and joining me in the studio is... Alan Parkinson, the president of the GA, and we have been having an incredible discussion um, about all things uh, subject associations, what they can, what they can do, um, what they should do, uh, and, and, and the real influence that they have on, on, on teaching and learning. Um, and I think anything, you know, from me actually being a jog for myself and knowing of that and interacting with the GA and the RGS uh, in, in my time as a geographer, what Alan has talked about today is a lot more than I thought that those organizations actually did as well. So um, it is incredible, I think, when you start to kind of peel back the layers and you see how many different avenues each of the associations seem to be uh, involved in. Um, it really does kind of make you think about asking sort of questions about, you know, uh, where's all the time coming from for people that are in these positions to, um, uh, to do all these things. So. Um, in, in, that, in, that, in that same vein, uh, Alan, I wonder if you, you know, by the, you're a full-time head of department in the school where you are, um, president of a fantastic subject association, no bias there. Um, what does, you know, on top of your normal typical teaching week, what does a, a week or a month look like for you? Uh, well, busy, yes. uh, <laughs> obviously. Very varied from from week to week there is there is a pattern to the ga meetings we have particular meetings which happen on a calendar mm. so i can sort of book those in first of all look for when parents evenings are look for when school events are on the almanac that we have at school and that starts to fill in and then around that obviously family and other social commitments so my daughter's mm. graduating this weekend so there won't be a lot happening this weekend. Nope. <laughs> uh, and then obviously within the typical week, I uh, work four days a week this year. Now, I mentioned earlier in the, in the sort of discussion about uh, the independent school connection uh, and the Erasmus funding that I've brought into the school. And part of that has been discussions really going back two years in fact yeah just over two years when I find out that I would be president to say uh, if I do have free time could that be pushed to one day when I know that I don't have to be in and I can then prioritize everything for that day so mm. so Friday is my day for for GA stuff right. essentially uh, and my 
working week then becomes four 12 hour days, uh, six till six pretty much uh, with my commute and you know, other aspects of, of the job. Uh, and then what I also do is use any time within those days to try to not take stuff home. So mm. I think it's something that I've tried to do over the years. As a teacher, you can work 24 hours a day and still feel that you are behind. Uh, you, you just Never have done, to at some, <laughs> at some point think, you know what, I'm not going to be marking every book every week. I'm not going to be, mm. you know, having all, all, all of those meetings that I need to, something has to, to give so it's yes. it's about that management um so 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 part of that really is managing the time that i have uh using it effectively when i'm at school but also I, i'm not really a good a big telly watcher uh I, you know so evenings I'll, I'll often be doing reading or blogging and i actually find that you know really sort of interesting cathartic and yeah. it allows me to sort of capture capture my thoughts but also the idea of publishing and putting it out there it's something i've always done mm. if i can save somebody a little bit of time somewhere along the line that that's what i'm aiming for so you know back in 2001 i had my first website and that was really about just saving some teacher a sunday afternoon yes. creating something that somebody else has already created um there's lots of things we could talk about there about using other people's resources and TES resources and people selling stuff on etc. Yes. But but essentially, uh, as I said, every teacher needs to use their time effectively and try and find that balance. Yeah, I like that, and, and I think that fits very nicely with this whole workload and 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 well-being. You know, it absolutely has been very importantly at the kind of the forefront of of discussions in terms of our job, as you alluded to, is is never done, um, uh, and we do need that downtime, that decompression time, um, so that we are well. <laughs> you know, um, and you know the strategies that you discuss. You know, try to make sure you don't take work home with you is great, but also actually in the day to day. You know the the amount of things that are on our plates and seem seemingly seem to be added to our plates without anything being taken away is something that you know uh, is the responsibility of uh, of governors and, and and leadership teams to kind of to to, to recognize and, and and act against. But it's a very kind of um, precarious position I think we find ourselves in, and 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 the likes of yourself and as you said many other people that do produce these resources um, for people to, to 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 save them time is is just one thing that can be done to kind of uh, lessen the load off of others. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think there's also, it takes something to actually put yourself out there because mm. of course we're now in a world where criticism can be so quickly given. Mm. Uh, and so I'm very grateful to those who continue to share their practice in the way that they do. And of course, that ultimately, many of those are also then drawn into to GA involvement through that. We recognise that what they're saying is of value. So Kate Stockings, for example, mm. particularly uh, impressive in the way that she talks about her curriculum design, uh, is now one of the presenters that we use for the GA CPD events. And Catherine Owen, of course, as well. Yes, absolutely. I, I've mentioned Kate's uh, Key Stage 3 curriculum design, her presentations a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, just 
just watching those discussions for an hour, you know, particularly if you're in a small department or a department that hasn't, you know, uh, moved forward perhaps maybe as much as it should have done have you know starting to those sort of seminars being able to watch them and just kind of really kind of get the the, the, the thoughts flowing about how you can improve and how you can move forward and not necessarily lots of work to do that as well sometimes you know little tweaks here and little tweaks there um can um galvanize a curriculum but also actually save an incredible amount of of of, of time as well um so let's let's uh, as I said, we're, we're, we're hurtling towards the end of the show, uh, Alan. It's absolutely fantastic. We could be here for hours, but uh, no, you've got your uh, daughter's graduation to get to. So let's <laughs> let's move it on. And in fact, we'll, we'll keep with the idea of the blogging. So um, I, I, as you said, your, your your blog, Living Geography, it's been going, I think, for nearly twenty years now. And and we've we discussed that the um, we discussed that the subject evolves, and obviously technology has evolved in that time as well. Um, so. How, I think you alluded to how it started and that idea of just trying to kind of throw up some resources to kind of help help people out. But what's been the secret in terms of, because I will uh, unashamedly admit that I've tried blogging, I've tried keeping up with doing things on a regular basis, but I've failed and I've failed multiple times. So what's the secret, please, <laughs> of being consistent and just keeping you keeping ticking over and keeping up to date? Um, so... Blogging obviously um, has lots of different uh, avenues that people take. Some people don't blog very often, but when they do, it's you know, a very detailed deep dive into one part of their practice, maybe reflecting on a particular lesson. Uh, sometimes it's coming from something that they've read and they want to share their thoughts about that. I, I actually have about 10 blogs that I run on a range of different themes. Now, the main one is living geography, uh, and that's been going for, I think, about 14 years now. Um, I, had the, I had a website called Geography Pages, which was mm. 20 years ago. Right. Uh, and Geography Pages was one of the, probably the first three or four geography websites, uh, and it was... For a while, it was, I think, something like the third most visited geography site in the world. Um, and it cost me huge amounts of money because I was having to pay for bandwidth and, uh, you know, literally millions of page views. Um, and I just had to keep doubling the bandwidth every week, pretty much. And, and, so, and so blogging was, was free. Um, it was a way to have a website without paying anything. Yes. Uh, and it still is free. You can have ads running on your blogs. Some people do ads. Or have a sort of buy me a coffee that sort of thing mm. but uh, my first blog was actually called geo geo blogs uh and it was just a pun on the name geo blogs that these were geo oh, yeah. blogs uh-huh. and so i pitched that to the Art royal geographical society for their innovative geography teaching award and they gave me a thousand pounds to write a blog so that's how it started off really and then from that came geography and all that jazz because I'm quite a fan of jazz and that sort of music. Uh, and then eventually living geography. Um, but I also have, I've got a blog for, on culture, cultural geography, a, a Google Earth blog, which again, I got some funding from the Royal Geographical Society to do. The other thing I also do is I have blogs which I keep for, for a year and then I post something every day for a year. So it's called a 365 project. Mm-hmm. 
So I did one on Iceland, uh, a post today on Iceland for a year. Uh, and I'm doing one at the moment on quotidian geography, a story each day based around the everyday geography theme. And I've also got a geo library, which has about 500 books with a description of the book and how it could be used in, in teaching. But essentially, if I have an idea, I'll start a blog post. So at the moment, yeah. I have, I think, about 100 posts in draft form. And some of those, <laughs> some of those will sit there for a year and then I'll delete them because uh, I look back and moment's think, oh, gone. Yeah. moment's gone for that one. <laughs> uh, sometimes I'll put up 10 posts a day, but they will be brief. It will be a picture, a YouTube clip, a, mm. and it, but it's the, the tagging and the labeling. And what that means is that the whole blog is searchable. Mm. So uh, I get, well, I've just passed 6 million views on Living Geography. So some days I'll get 30,000 views. Um, another day I'll get 200. Uh, it just, it's really variable. Yes. But what happens is that, you know, on Living Geography's got 10,600 posts or something. And what that means is if you're looking for a resource and you search geography, uh, whatever, mm. you know, my blog will be up there near the top and it will then get more views. So, so really it's a, a resource to myself. Um, but I also share all, all my pictures on Flickr. So 40,000 pictures on Flickr. Um, Pinterest boards. Yeah. I think Pinterest's excellent. When you're starting off on a topic, so COP26, for example, mm. browsing through news, news media, nice image, just, you know, get the little button on your browser, save it to a board. And before you know it, you've got a couple of hundred cartoons on climate change. You can then direct to students and say, there's the link. Mm. Uh, use, you know, use the images here, use the links here. So it's a little bit like my sort of filing cabinet, whereas instead of, it just being in my room it's just out there on the internet and anybody can find it and anybody can use it so that that side of it is also i guess my e-portfolio so if anyone wants mm. to get me involved in writing something or a project and, I, and i've worked for probably 50 60 different organizations writing over the years mm. most publishers and, and bbc i've just finished some bbc primary resources, um, Google World Wonders and sort of uh, the expeditions, that sort of side, National Geographic, um, all of those, you know, sometimes found me through the work that I'd put up on the online. So it, yeah, it's a, it's a showcase, but also it's, it's for people to use. And I got an, uh, actually got an award for, from the Royal Scottish Geographical Society a few years ago. And you know, the, the letter basically said for for constantly just sharing and sharing and sharing yes. um, with others and supporting others as well, because the other side of all social media is, you know, uh, anybody's got a Twitter feed, you've got that public Twitter feed where mm -hmm. you don't necessarily put, you know, the days when things haven't gone quite so well on there. Uh, but it's that direct messaging. It's the things happening in the background. It's the endless supportive things where you notice that, somebody else who has had a bad day yeah. and it's so it's those interactions as well none of which are public all of, you know which a lot of people i know are doing as well mm. uh just to support each other through this through this time because yeah. as we mentioned earlier it's it's a difficult time and so anything i can do 
whether it's a blog post with a, an idea that somebody can, find, you know, the night before, ah, that's perfect, I can use that tomorrow, to, uh, you know, just a resource I haven't seen before. Yes. Um, one of the fun things, the games we used to play when I worked for the Geographical Association, um, I shared an office with John Lyon, who presents the GA's Jog Pod podcasts. Yes. yes. And the game, the game went, John, John Lyon would say, Alan, I found this brand new resource. It looks really good. Um, and I would then look on Living Geography for how many years ago I'd but found that resource it. and yeah. put it on there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I'll speak for, I think I'll speak for most people before you kind of opened up a little bit more on that one was that where does the time come for doing all these hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of blogs but I think you you said it very very uh directly in the way that it's just short and sweet isn't it it's that like and and, and the mechanisms that you're using like you know you're right clicking to add to boards and this that and the other it isn't that like you said that laborious spending hours crafting words and things yeah. it's just your thoughts down on the, well up on the up on the page yeah. if you like and then into the into the cloud and accessible for all i think that's a real a valuable and and and, and, and a, an important message i think to get across with people that are perhaps maybe looking to um uh, foray into in, into building a building a blog out there um there is that case as well that 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 too much information out there as well it's like filling a thimble from a waterfall isn't it you know sometimes when you're trying to yeah. look for a particular resource um so at least i guess you know i wonder if there's the if you've got the quality mark on your uh, on any of your blogs perhaps so we, <laughs> is there a gold yeah, standard <laughs> i think that was when i started geography pages uh, the, that was 2001 and you still had the yellow pages um, mm. <laughs> and the idea was yeah if you wanted something you looked in the geography pages and they all started out as one web page you know, html coding and all the stuff we used to do to build a website so i'd start a page on rivers and basically if anything new i just added it to the end so in the end i just got huge lots of extra long pages um so yeah blogging's wow. a little bit more um open to to searching yes. And that's what I think I said before before I posed the question. I thought it was really good the the way that how technology has changed over time, and yet you still managed to kind of find the the route or the medium to kind of get your get your work and your thoughts out there to people. Um, Alan, it's it's pretty much time to 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 to, to wrap up. Um, I I had one last question for you, if you wouldn't mind. Um, I am aware that you've recently released the book uh, Why Study Geography with the lovely. Uh, they broad beans edamame is it edamame on there i think uh, just some uh, fine fine beans fine beans that's it the haricot vert i believe um now two questions uh, on that so firstly how did it come about uh, you kind of writing this uh, the book itself and mm. then as i guess as succinctly as you can the overall message you know the question the, the the title of the book is why study geography so my 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 second part of the question is why should we study geography uh well if if you if you buy the book um, <laughs> chapter two will answer your question yes um, in particular although of course the whole book is about it mm. so so this book is start is part of a series uh, so there are three other subjects which also have a why study Mm. Uh, published by uh, London Publishing Partnership and they um, well how did I come to write it because the person they asked to write it couldn't do it so I was second <laughs> choice uh, brilliant so, so so originally this was uh, 
down to uh, Carl Lee, who's written a brilliant book with Danny Dorling, just called Geography. Yes. Published by Profile Books. You probably have a copy. Do, little, yes. green, little green yeah. globe on the cover. Uh, mapping by fantastic Ben Hennig, yes. who I've worked with in the past, um, who now works in Iceland, and why, why wouldn't you? Um, and so, but Carl's doing a PhD at the moment on uh, the changing nature of Sheffield, which is his home city. Mm. And he's do actually doing it on the area where the GA is based, as the St. Vincent's Quarter. So he, he was too busy to do it. So ah, I, actually had a, I actually had a meeting about two weeks before lockdown, um, down at the British Library and so the lockdown actually was the time when I wrote the book um, uh, being locked down meant I didn't have to to drive to work five days a week mm. uh, the, that, that's 10 hours that's that's a day that's saved yeah uh, yeah and so I already had lots of the ideas and essentially the book looks at uh, firstly the discipline of geography and why it's important uh, um, and why you should study it, but also where it can take you. So careers, advice, and advice for studying, making the most of your time at university. Mm. So it's really a, a aimed at students and their parents who might be considering a geography degree, looking at the cost of doing a degree and thinking, yeah, should I be spending uh, that amount of time studying this particular subject and of course uh, right now we need more geographers than ever you know the, mm. the, the john hopkins university gis map showed us you know everybody was wanting to know where um, lots of geospatial jobs uh, climate science we've mentioned mm. but also the whole idea of logistics and understanding supply chains uh, you know geographers are all across all of those things yes. and so Broad really church. <laughs> Yeah, so, the, so the, the reason to study geography, obviously, is to, to understand the planet that you live on uh, and also to have your eyes open. So in the book, I talk about the, um, uh, the, earth, uh, the earth rise photograph taken by yes. Bill Anders, um, which is on my classroom wall, mm -hmm. and how that sort of changed how people viewed the earth as this, this fragile, fragile thing in space. Uh, and want to go back to COP26, of course, one of the speakers was uh, Jeff Bezos, who uh, spent a significant sum of money that may have been spent on something better, um, producing huge amounts of carbon dioxide to take himself into space and to look down and realise what a fragile place it was. Now, I have never been to space mm. and I probably never will, but I <laughs> understand how fragile the Earth is without doing that, yes. without going to that effort, because yeah. I study geography. And so, if nothing else, uh, it saves you an expensive trip into space studying <laughs> geography. Brilliant. And it is much more than that, as, as we know. Uh, Alan, this is it's been an absolutely fantastic talk. I've enjoyed every moment. Obviously, very biased as I'm a geographer myself, it's been an absolute privilege to kind of spend time with you, kind of chewing the fat and going over uh, everything that you do. It, it does seem so many and so varied and you do seem to have you know your your days do seem to be pretty pretty chock-a-block but I I think I get from you that 
what you do, it really does motivate you. And it really does, you know, even the reading and, and, and the blogging in the evening is part of your relaxation and stuff. So I kind of, I, I get that. And I think that it's, uh, it's marvelous. And I'd like to, you know, thank you personally. And also from, from all geographers and, and educators out there for the, for the input that you've put into, you know, helping everybody out with their, you know, with their, with their well-being by providing resources and guidance and stuff uh, for the, for, well, for the last 20, 30 years, right? Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely amazing. Uh, and I, yeah, I, I hope to be able to speak to you again sometime in the near or distant future. We've got the GA conference coming up. Could you remind us when the, the dates are for the, 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 the new conference this year? Uh, so that's the 11th to the 13th of April, 2022, University of Guildford, uh, public lecture on the 11th and then two days of events and speakers and workshops and social events, meeting people face-to-face -face for the first time in three years, in some cases. Yes. Uh, so yeah, very much looking forward to it and hope to see lots of you there. Perfect, be there or be square. Thank you very much, Alan. Have a lovely morning, everybody, and we will see you next week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.